Welcome to Coffee with the Coaching Revolutionaries from thecoachingrevolution.com. Before we start, can I suggest that you hop over to Facebook and search for Coaching Republic. It's for coaches just like you who want to build financially viable coaching businesses. See you there. This week, I have um, John Gilbert with me. And John is quite unusual amongst our mentors in that not only is he a leadership coach, but his background is in the public sector. Hello, John. Hi, Sarah. Good to meet you again. <laughs> so tell me, about, tell me about your career in the public sector. Um, well, despite my youthful age, uh, I've been <laughs> in local government for about 40 years. And most of my career, I actually, interestingly, I started off my journey in the sort of leisure and, uh, and cultural services area. So leisure facilities linked to schools, education, because my, my degrees are in education and, 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 and management. So uh, I, that led me into the journey of local government and the education and schools bill started to get processed. And because of my background in education, the Children's Act then came into force in 2004, and I was actually involved in developing some of that, that insight. Um, children's services then became a real driver because that was the integration and connection between social care and education, because there were two big departments that individually on their own yeah. sometimes didn't talk to each other, huge, huge monolithic structures. They came together, children's services, because it was about joining up services. So I was involved in that. My journey... Can I just interrupt you for a second? Yeah. You've mentioned a number of acts there, that, and I'm not really clear what they were or what they did. Can you right. give us a, a nutshell version of what they, what they are? Sure. There was the original uh, 1989 Social Care Act, which is about safeguarding of children. That was the original social services, if you like, one of the bedrocks of the Social Services Act. And then uh, in 2004, uh, the, there was the development of the Children Act. And what the Children Act is, it was something called the duty to cooperate. So it actually forced a regulation upon partners to work together that they couldn't sort of turn their backs on things. They had to work together, but it, it also joined up uh, structurally education services and social care services. So rather than if you go into local authorities back in the 80s and 90s, you'd have an education director and a social services director from the 2004 Act onwards, it, it, the government was saying you've got to have one director, a children's services director, and he or she coordinates and oversees adult um, uh, education and social services. So there are obviously a variety of things underneath that, but that was the premise of it. And it was about bringing that intelligence and safeguarding together. And really, it was something called Every Child Matters was a, was part I remember of that. And it was it was the sort of five outcomes that was that was, was being being channeled through that, that that arena at the time. So it was bringing everyone having that same mantra of trying to bring that together. And actually, you know, politics aside, that that philosophy was very, very good and actually has has, has been the bedrock and foundation of where we are today. Okay. Okay. So they were working in the new founded children's services. Children's services, yeah. And, I, and my journey geographically, I sort of started off in Kent, and I went, I went anti-clockwise around England. I think, but, <laughs> but I didn't go farther north than Stafford. So I, I went up, um, went up to um, Kent, Suffolk, and then Staffordshire, West Midlands, back down Shropshire, back down to uh, Gloucestershire, where I am now, and then, and then I chief executive at Swindon when I finished my career so I then worked through my career was really particularly most of my career was as a director of children's services 
or what they call a twin hatter. It was even better. It was a joint, it was a director of children's services and adult services. So they even joined up that in some authorities. And that was very, very, a very big job. I've noticed now that a lot of authorities are uncoupling those. They still have one, one children's services director, but the services underneath are, are, are sort of put into two areas and bring together. But that, that brought me right round. And so I retired um, a couple of years ago and actually coincided with something called the Football World Cup, coincidentally. <laughs> Which was timing. And, and then uh, I had a couple of months off, recharged the batteries. Uh, I still felt I had a lot, a lot to offer local government. I was, I was young enough and fit enough, I think, to have reasonable faculties. And then my wife, after a few months, said, for God's sake, go and do something useful for a change. Get out from under my feet. So I thought, actually, what I might do, I'll, I'll sign up for an executive coaching and mentoring qualification because I, I mentored a lot of my directors over the years and my staff over the years. I'd like to think that I was a people person and I enjoyed that and I thought well what's the worst that can happen I'll, I'll, I'll meet a new network of people that I would never have met before uh, I've got time on my hands at the moment uh, and if I, I enjoy it I may even set a business up in about nine months 12 months time and that idea lasted a week before I got, before I got a phone call from Solace from different associations from the Society of Chief Executives from the local government association from ex chief uh, from from colleagues that I've met met in my network chief executives directors and said oh you just retired haven't you do you want to come and do this and I thought mm, okay uh, I might as well set my business up now so I've set the business up then but I didn't really if I'm really honest with you I didn't really give much thought to the business structure because it was like semi-forced on me if that makes sense because it was oh, I might as well set it up now then yeah. so I did the course in the background and it was only after a few months and I got a few initial jobs from those people that contacted me then I thought actually I need to be a bit more structured in this I wouldn't be doing this if I was working in the local government world as you know why am I doing it for my own work so I then actually I think I came across yourselves as coaching revolution when I was I think it was on a LinkedIn uh connection or or, or some such some such link um and I thought actually yeah I, I, I what we get told a lot is that and all the court the course that I did was and I'm sure others were the same was very much about coaching and the process and the application of it and what you should do and how you shouldn't you know how you shouldn't mentor and all the all the other things and active listening everything else that went with it and you know the classic limiting beliefs and so on I'm thinking well that's great but actually that tells me nothing and the business element of the bit the actual element of the business side of it was if I said it was half a day that's probably exaggerating it, it, it was literally a snip and I thought you know that's really important because we could all leave from here being brilliant coaches but actually unemployed. So, so I thought, oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, well, I thought, well, I need to do something about that. So I, I, luckily I had enough jobs going through the mm -hmm. contacts to keep me going. And I was, if I'm being very honest, I was in the fortunate position of not having to do it as my main salary because mm -hmm. it was something, you know, with the, the pension that supported me. But I, I wanted to do this properly. Yeah. I also felt that actually the more I thought about it and what, what the coaching revolution did is made me really think about so who is it you're targeting? Who's who's the audience? Who's your, you know, your your ICA, the individual client, your, your, your avatar? Who what are you aiming for? And I thought I, I I sort of half knew, but I needed to be, I really needed to button that down. And that forced me to really think about what I was doing. Yeah, I, I suppose that like, uh, yeah, I think you did an ILM7, didn't you? That's correct. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember our original conversation. Um, and I think that it doesn't matter how fabulous your coaching qualification is, 
the idea that, well, it's okay because I can coach everyone is really pervasive, isn't it? And, and if you can coach everyone, then your market is massive. Yeah. And, and it's so frustrating for coaches when they go out there and it turns out that everyone, in inverted commas, isn't actually a real person. No, no, that, no that's right, that's right. Uh, so, so you joined us and you, you got cracking with your mentoring. And So what happened next? Okay, well, what it made me think about um, was was really what you just said to me about my journey. And I thought, what, what was, what's the gap or the niche that I was trying to fulfill? What, what did I think was missing? And, I, and when I thought about my own career, I did have, I managed to have a coach uh, towards the latter end of my career, which is really helpful, really supportive. But I noticed a number of my other colleagues, and I'm talking about my chief exec colleagues, didn't really have that or didn't, sort of didn't believe in it I think they had this this philosophy of it's a lifetime coach and you're going to get you know the sort of metaphorical it's more of a it's more of a, a scenario where you're lying on a couch and you know saying um and you know so no 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 it's not it's not that, sort it's, of thing. Not that cool. it's not that and and they didn't really they didn't really have it on their radar and I said where do you go for your safe space where do you go when you feel you're 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 vulnerable where do you go where you feel that you can't cope where do you go when you think you're making a bad decision and you've got a lot of people against you and you're the you're the line of least you know the, the last point of failure you're the you know absolutely the least resistant you know you're, you're you're the point in chief executive where you can go you can't ask anybody else you can ask a politician you can ask your leader but as an executive officer that's it you're at the top of the pinnacle you've got nowhere to go so you have this real pressure that well if you don't know who does? Yeah, who knows? Who knows? And so you think, well, I've got nowhere to go. You are literally on the top of Everest and you don't, you've got no, you've got no ropes around you. And you think, well, actually, let's try and bring a real, a real network around you. And actually, what would it be like if you actually had people that had gone through what you've gone through, had walked in your shoes? You could actually lend an ear to, you could, you could just check things with who can challenge you, who can make you think differently, who can make you start yourself to work it out what that is and actually believe in yourself. And actually I thought that's the niche, that's the thing that I didn't really have. I, I, I did, but only at the end, but there wasn't much around, I had to scrabble around for it. So I thought actually, so it was people a little bit like myself and a layer below that I think was missing. And that's the niche that I, that I aimed for. And that has worked, you know, that's working very, very well. So I've got a question. Yeah. Why don't chief execs just go to other chief execs and say, hey, this is really tricky. How, how are you coping with this? They do to an extent. So they, 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 there is a fa there is a support. I would like to think local government is a supportive family, mm. but you've also got to be aware that there's also it's a family where it's competitive as well. Right. And actually, um, you know, would the boss of Unilever go to the boss of John Lewis and say, oh, I'm really struggling here. You know, can you help me? It, and I know there's a financial, as I know there's a, it's a financial and commercial uh, argument that's different to that, but it, to show frailties as a chief executive, uh, it, you know, in any organisation, even to another colleague, unless they're absolutely, absolutely trusted, is quite a jump. And what I've certainly found is that the chief executives I work with, there's no one bar none that hasn't got um, imposter syndrome. And they're quite shocked actually when they say that to me that I'm saying do you know you know so many people speak to me and say the same thing and it's like really I thought it was only me they're absolutely gobsmacked that they're not the only ones that are, are like that so what that proves to me that actually there's a lot of people that are really on you know and feel vulnerable but can't yeah. show vulnerability yeah. 
And that's, that's the recipe it. for a disaster. That's the recipe for disaster. So I help them to encourage them to, if you like, embrace that vulnerability, but work with it in a way that they can really gain strength from. And that's what I found. I found that as, as well. So again, I think it's something that I can sympathise with. That. I'm very conscious of not saying, yes, that I, I had that, I had that, because that's not good. But I, I can sympathise with it and I can very much you know, respond to that in terms of what they need to think about and what they can do about that. But yeah, that's why I think it's because they wouldn't really want to show vulnerability to other colleagues because the, to themselves that would look that would show a sign of weakness. I, I, I get I get that that it's weak. I hadn't really thought about um, individual authorities kind of being in competition with each other because they have their own discrete customer base in inverted commas. But anyway, clearly you know a lot more about it than I do. It's it's not more just to, I mean it's it's not so much it, it's much more it's much easier to be not in competition with one another if you're out of the region. I think if you're in the same region, okay. like west, northeast, whatever, that's harder because then you are arguably fighting for funds that might be allocated to a geographical area. But but if, for example, someone in the northeast wanted to to share their concerns with someone in the southwest, that probably would be more more doable than it would be in their region because and also they're seeing each other. They'll have regional meetings, and so to have that construct within that that within that body would be awkward. I think. Yeah, and I hadn't, of course, you know, I have very, very little experience in local government and I haven't really thought about the fact that their funds come to an area and, and they get a piece of the pie rather than the whole. Yeah, pie. sometimes, not always, but what government, what all governments do of all political shapes and sizes and colours is that they tend to allocate um, funds on a on a bespoke process. So, you know, town centre development. So what they tend to do is, um, you know, they'll, they'll pick. 12 towns across the across the country and surprise surprise you know there's one in the southwest and one in the northeast and you know so you'll find that geographically they will cherry pick because they want to spread the what they want to spread the love yeah and obviously spread politically then you know, the support going on so what you tend to find is yes for those sort of one-off funds which happens quite a lot and those one-offs are quite regular one-offs there's a lot you know the leveling up fund we're talking yeah. about leveling up that's a fund that, that there'll be money allocated through government and through local local authorities to bid for. So you have to put bids in. So right. they're bidding, they're bidding against one another. So the competition is always bidding. Yeah, I get that. That makes sense. So basically it is a commercial environment. It's just not a commercial environment in the usual sense of the word. That's correct. And actually local governments have had to have had to operate more commercially because one of the one of the issues that they've had to what a lot of some authorities, quite a lot of authorities did, which scared the government more recently, is that they invested a lot of money in uh, develop in out of town developments and in infrastructure regeneration funds. So, for example, in big shopping malls, in big developments going forward. Now, you can imagine. And of course, government have got quite Treasury have got quite exercised about that because you're literally um, putting taxpayers' money into, you know, for example, a, a retail outlet, which may boom, it may not. Yeah. And what happens if it doesn't? And all of a sudden, so they've had to start putting capping levels on what you can and can't invest in. And many authorities were invest and still do, many authorities were investing money miles away from their authority. You're not talking about, you know, someone in the Northwest investing in somewhere in the Northwest. They'll be investing in somewhere in Kent. You know, so they'll because they'll just look at it and say, "What's a commercial venture that's going to be good? That looks good. We'll put money there." So there were some authorities that have really overstretched themselves, and if it went the wrong way, could be in a real serious trouble. So they're trying to balance that. So 
yes, you have to think commercially. So even though it's in a local government environment, the commercial mindset is really important. And we did a lot of training on thinking in a commercial way mm. in everything that you do. So that's an interesting fact. So how come that doesn't automatically translate into understanding how to market your business, for example? In terms of local government? Well, Not just in terms of John Gilbert. Right. I suppose it's because you don't have to market your business in local government, really. The council's there, isn't it? And, and, the, and the council, people come to you. I don't have to look for people. You know, so in terms of if you want your bins collected, I don't knock on your door saying, do you want your bins collected? You know, uh, basically, you'll be on the register. You'll you'll get an invoice saying your bins are going to be collected, and this is your your council tax for the year. So, if you like, the hunt for the individual is the other way round. Uh, so, therefore, the marketing as, as such isn't quite the same. There are some departments when you do have to be more savvy, but by so that's why you've got you know in in some big councils you're talking about five hundred different services. You're talking about, you're not talking about one or two things. You're talking about mega, massive, different services that are going on. You know, registry offices, you know, burials, mm -hmm. commercialization, regeneration, bin collections, environment, planet. I could go on. Yeah. Huge. And all the children's adult services, they, that, that you have, we commercialized many of those mm -hmm. in terms of supporting Having, you know, so schools were buying back into services to support different, you know, for example, some of our more challenging and, and special need children. So there's, there's a lot of issues that are going on. And then you've got changes going on, like academization. That caused another issue and pressure on finance because a lot of that central funding went out of the out. government, out of local government and into academies. That meant that the supportive infrastructure that was there in councils to support special needs children then went out. And then that pressure of special needs, for example, went hugely up. And now we've got huge overspends. Yeah. Very simplistic, but you see how yeah, yeah. dramatically. Well, what, I'm, what I'm hearing is, and, and, and I, I hear this a lot with coaches that I talk to, is that, but I was an employee and the next piece of work came to me. I never had to think about where it was coming from. It was already in my inbox before I was even ready to start it. It yeah. was there and they were building up. And I think, especially public sector, especially public sector, but generally as well, there's this idea that having to go touting for business, in inverted commas again, is somehow distasteful. Yeah, there's, there's certainly an element of that. And I think the other thing is that, and I think it varies on the levels upon which you're working. As a chief executive, you've got to be more forward thinking and horizon scanning and looking at the next five, 10 years. But you're right. I think the thing that the thing that's different, that, that, that if you want to, the real nub of it is, is that when you're working local government, you although you should have a philosophy that it's your money. You know, I always used to challenge my staff. If this was your money in your business, would you be doing what you're doing now? Mm. And well, I don't have to think about. Yes, but that budget, you don't have to spend that budget just because you've got a budget. You don't have to spend it. And it's just thinking differently. If you're in a commercial environment, you, you wouldn't. You'd, you'd, you'd be thinking differently. So there, there is this, in some cases, there is a mindset of, well, it's not, I haven't got to fight for the money because the budget is allocated. Of course, there's huge pressures on the budgets now because there's huge budget reductions going on. But it's think, you know, you, and that's why some authorities, some authorities are actually employing chief executives who have a very strong, a very strong history and experience on, on commercial in, in a commercial environment. Mm. 
that, that, mm. that in other words, the commercial and pop and, and private environment significantly outweighs their experience of the public sector. Yeah. And it's actually, and it works both ways. I've seen it work both, and I've seen challenges both ways. So when when some people say, oh, well, I could work in local government, be a chief executive. And I've seen some people come in who've been very good in the private sector, have crashed, have really struggled because you're having to influence in local government. You have to work with politicians. You can't instruct. No. And it's a very different not the same. <laughs> no, you're you're influencing across boundaries. You're not instructing. Mm, yeah, and that that is a very different skill. So you joined us. Yep. You learned the thing. You started yep. to pick up clients. You said something interesting to me um, last time we spoke about the coaching revolution helped you to push doors open. What what did you mean by that? Yeah, I, I think that um, one of the things just going back to what you just said about you know marketing, you haven't you know about pushing yourself. And I'm thinking, well, I, I now need to really start thinking about um, my the brand of my business. You know, so first of all, was what sort of what sort of business do I need? And then without going into the accountancy elements but you know I, I felt the right thing to do for the business I was in was to develop it as a limited company because pr primarily I'm working with either education academy trusts public sector local government and even some health bodies as well and they're all that registered yeah. so very simply it, it, it meant there it was an efficiency to yeah. go down the VAT registration and probably more importantly that there was a credit that rightly or wrongly there's an unwritten and unspoken credibility about being back registered when you're on the when you're a local government uh, authority when you look at a company and think oh they're back registered they're a limited company they're they're okay they're real <laughs> they're real but it's not John Gilbert in a, you know in his shed doing it it's a real company and it's a real you know this it's company's house etc so it just felt that credibility was really important as well and mm. that that's absolutely true because that's some of the questions I get when I do become a new supplier and so that was something I wanted to make sure was right uh, and what I felt was is that um so the company's called called JJG Consultancy and Coaching Services Limited uh, I then set that up. And then what I found was that although my network got me so far, which was great, and it got me into the through the door, and I thought, actually, I need to do more than this. And one of the things that Coaching Revolution really helped me to think about is don't be don't be afraid. Don't be bashful. Uh, just ask and actually, you know, push, you know, don't be don't be, you know, belligerent and awkward. And but just simply say, OK, well, while I'm in, while I'm while I'm in here, you know, what other help do you need? I've noticed that that team needs support or that individual, and actually you start to upsell. So I think one of the things I've learned very quickly is that, and I was looking actually this morning before I um, we had this chat this morning, and I looked at my the clients that I've got, I think probably just over half I've got at the moment are ones that I've created through upselling and through pushing yeah. and through just simply saying, can we? And if I just relied on my network and just left it that, I probably wouldn't have any, I might have one or two. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. And and uh, we were saying, weren't we, that it's that Northeastern saying that shy bands get out. You mm. don't have to be pushy, but if if somebody doesn't know what you do, then they're gonna go elsewhere for it. If they don't know you as an existing supplier can provide the thing that they need because you've not told them, then they will go elsewhere for it. And that's yeah. really frustrating. It is. I mean, so, uh, it is, yeah. And I had that, I had that in my early, very, in my, in my very, I was working with a local authority when that actually happened. And I thought, and that was, that was the, that was note to self, 
you know, tell them what you're doing. And, and so I sort of said that to them. And they said, oh, I didn't realise. I didn't realise you did that. And so I thought, like, yeah, you're right. That's my fault. There's no, no one's fault but me. So I made sure what you what I then learned as well is that I recognised very quickly. And obviously the pandemic has forced this upon us all to be very adaptive. So although obviously my bread and butter is my my one to one coaching and mentoring uh, chief execs, directors and so on, um, my I've diversified quite a lot in relation to team development, leadership teams, action learning sets, developing programs for aspiring leaders. And so so if I again, if I just kept a while, I just want one to one coaching, that's fine if that's all I wanted, but that would be limited because I know the market wants more than that. And what's coming out of the market is the leadership team dynamic, because what has happened in COVID is that we've become, unfortunately, as a nation, as well, as a nation, as a world worldwide, intolerant. Intolerance has happened. We, you know, we've had to live by ourselves, within ourselves, in our own homes. Now we go out, and I, I, you know, I can't speak for Italy, but certainly in England, when you look out, you, you walk around and sometimes, why aren't they wearing a mask? You, already you're intolerant of people. And that intolerance is now people are slowly going back into the office and some of that intolerance is coming out and some bad behaviours are being exposed in, in team meetings, whereas up to now you've had to look at each other through the medium of Teams or Zoom. That's copable every half an hour a week. Now I'm going in the office, it's more overt it's, and, and that frustrations are coming out. So you're having to adapt to that. So I'm doing, I'm actually supporting about 12 leadership teams at the moment. So again, that's constantly changing and other, other bits of what I call under the bonnet reviews and the under bonnet reviews are ones where someone goes, oh, I don't like the look of that. <laughs> uh, and they then give me a ring and say, John, can you come and have a look at this for me? And it could be anything from I did a high level diagnostic review of accounts that was about to go bust and put in a, a two year package of support measures to keep them afloat to looking at an, econ- an arm's length economic, economic development arm that's... Um, that needs reshaping to you know a range of other you know so it's quite a range of of different issues but it's just I say under the bonnet reviews because I'd like to think they see me as someone that's trusted that Mm. has walked in their shoes and understands the local government um journey and mindset and I've got you know another one is working with politicians and the executive team so that working with people and what I think you find is all about people so what I'm hearing then is you had this massive wealth of experience, you added to it another skill set in coaching, and then you mined your network. But what joining the coaching revolution did was help you become visible in a much bigger way to the people that you can help the most. Yes, absolutely. And and by working with other colleagues and working with other colleagues in the network, that community of other, co- other coaches, other mentors, is really invaluable that's the bit I think that's invaluable to, mm. to support and it, it absolutely it just made me really it, it, sh- it, sh- it shone a lot helped me shine a light on the business that I was trying to create but also helped me not waste time going down rabbit holes absolutely and, and, and said to me and questioned me about why I was doing it but the community support is something that's been fantastic with Coaching Revolution. Yeah everybody says the community is amazing it's it's um, probably the thing of which I am the most proud of the, we're four now, we were four on the 27th of September. So right. over the four mm-hmm. years, that community is is, is my, my biggest success, I think. You became a mentor for us because all our mentors are alumni. We invite people back who have gone, put into practice what they've learned 
and developed a thriving coaching and in your case coaching consulting mentoring business and now you're back supporting other coaches how are you finding that that's good i mean i've only i've got a few on the books at the moment and because again in the nice way i suppose i'm very busy with my with mm. my main main business but no i i find it's really great because the whole thing about this is, is actually um contributing back to the whole agenda so i'm contributing back to local government and if i can help other coaches find their feet and if i can help them not fall in some of the rabbit holes that i did and some of the bear traps that i did then then that's that's uh, that's helpful i'm very conscious however though that i don't mean i'm unique in that way but i my particular brand is is different to some other brands that i come across and because i've got because i was i finished as a chief executive i've got quite a strong network now that's fine but that network only lasts so long and goes so deep so you do have to you can't just rely on that people that do do that after a couple of years it dries up so you have to continually diversify and keep connecting keep abreast of it so yeah i, I find the coaching revolution supporting and the and, and the what's great for me is that people that come onto it are really enthusiastic yeah. but, you know they should be because that's you know they want to start the business so like great yeah brilliant brilliant john um thank you thank you very much for your time um it's been a pleasure talking to you and you sarah thanks very much indeed take care you've been listening to coffee with the coaching revolutionaries from the coachingrevolution.com if you go to facebook and search coaching republic you can find our business building community especially for coaches see you there